Welcome to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Proverbs 11:30 The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who is wise wins souls. I just think today there's some people here, some, I feel in my heart, there's some people here that just need the, the fruit of the right, you know, the tree of life, sorry, that, you, that you've come a little bit burdened, but you need some pick-me-up today. And I, I hope and pray that this message from, from the book of James will do that. We've been in James for four or five weeks now. Uh, we're going to conclude James today. We're going to wrap it all up at the end. Might be a little bit negative at the start, but we're going to finish high, okay? We're going to finish on a high note. <laughs> so here we go. We're in James 5, basically, today. But first of all, a couple of stories. I remember my heart being really grieved by watching the movie 12 Years a Slave. It was heart-wrenching to watch the, the whippings of bare backs for just such minor misdemeanors or underperformance uh, on the cotton plantations of America's southern states. One thing in particular that, that has stayed in my mind, however, was the scene where the heartless plantation owner assembled the slaves uh, in the yard for church on Sunday. He proceeded to preach from the Old Testament justifying slavery and then he says in his southern drawl, that scripture, folks. Having beaten them all week, and then has the scripture on Sunday. A few weeks ago, we, the second story, a few weeks ago we had a lovely evening with some friends who have retired. And they just travel around in their caravan and uh, enjoy this beautiful country. And uh, they have actually continued to, to bless us uh, with many acts of kindness over the years. And we just had a lovely evening. Uh, we're not quite sure where they are at spiritually. They've, they, sadly, they stopped going to church a long time ago. And they were sort of saying that there was a program they really liked, and we turned to it on Netflix. And we only had, had we've got a few minutes in, and I got this really bad vibe that, this was a serious dig at Christianity, this, this series or show, that, you know, weekly one. And uh, I won't say the name of it because you'll look it up. <laughs> but despite this show being about a distinguished pastor with a dysfunctional family, I just got this bad vibe that it was really just another dig at Christianity. And so I turned it off. We didn't have much time anyway. And, um, but I could just see the subtle undermining of faith that undergirded this program. What sometimes appears noble or even funny, you know, uh, Hollywood will often use humor to change values. And we buy in because it's so funny. Or it seems noble on the surface, but it can be almost anti-Christ. Both these stories deal with hypocrisy. That's why I've chosen these two stories. They both deal with hypocrisy, which James comes down on hard 
in chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. So let's turn there and look at James 5, 1 to 6. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the day of the laborers who mowed your fields and which have been withheld by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of, of, of slaughter. You've condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. Wow. I said it was a pretty bad start here. <laughs> James concludes his book with what at first seems like several random thoughts. As I've mulled over this chapter all week and some of the other chapters, you know, it just seems like some of these thoughts don't connect. But on closer inspection, they kind of do. James' teaching is, is rather like a movie that has a bunch of random characters whose lives don't really intersect until the last few scenes where the connection is made and it all comes together to make a powerful statement. So if we could sum up the book of James in two life hacks, the first life hack would be more dewy, less hooey. So that's James's life hack number one, more dewy, less hooey. James speaks about two kinds of wisdom. And the first kind of wisdom is from above in James 3, 17 and 18. Let's just turn and read that. Even so faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith. I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. That's true wisdom. True wisdom originates from God. But like all of God's gifts, the enemy offers a counterfeit, earthly kind of wisdom. James offers a raft of examples of wise living in this book. But he's also at pains to point out that wisdom is in fact a gift in James 1 verse 5. He then explains that godly wisdom will develop in us as we step out and add legs to our faith. Examples of this are looking after orphans and widows, 1 verse 27. Treating all people equally, 2 verse 1. Giving when the need is immediate, chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, and taming the tongue in chapter 3, verse 2. All these things we should do simply as our response to the wonderful grace we've received as a free gift from Christ. Amen? Who modeled all these things. That's, it's just our response, isn't it? Or should be. 
Following his example is wisdom from above, but it's not actually necessary for our salvation. We're not saved by our works, our wise actions, but we're saved in order to carry out wise actions. You see, the enemy's counterfeit would have us believe that we can do all these things without Christ, who modeled these things for us. And that's the deception. But following Christ's example is wisdom from above. And being wise in God means that our first priority is our relationship with Jesus. It all stems from that. And out of that will spring the right moments to do acts of service. We have to be listening to him, just like we have this morning, I believe, hearing the voice of God. Our job is to be faithful and ready, ready to go when these needs arrive, when they just whisper or come upon our doorstep. You know, Jesus will provide the vision. He'll, he'll provide the grace to get the job done and the wisdom to know who it's all about and who it's all for in the end. But when the world looks on and sees Christians doing a few random acts of kindness, they think, yeah, we, we do that too. But when we as a church reach out to the community with purpose, unity and consistency, it makes a powerful statement. You see, when we model cross-cultural love for one another here, in a spirit of unity and a determined grit-like purpose over the long haul, the world sits up and takes notice because that takes grit. Worldly wisdom should be, should be challenged by our godly wisdom, but when we just talk about it, we undo a lot of hard work. If it's just talk, then the world loses interest. Life hack number two, don't be an egg. <laughs> These are my words. <laughs> you won't find that in the Bible. <laughs> but just as I read through the book of James, I just sort of felt, you know, there's so many things which we can do that are just dumb and they don't help the cause. And James touches on quite a few of these things, which are just dumb things to do. One of those things is to be slack in the workplace. So that's life hack. Number two, dumb thing number one. <laughs> if we're late to work, if we're unreliable, if we overpromise, underdeliver, if we're lazy, if we don't contribute, if we're always on our phone, we're distracted or we're not focused, we undermine the boss. Maybe we're critical of others at work. Oh, I could have done that better. And don't take responsibility for mistakes made. Then we most likely won't get employee of the month, <laughs> let alone win the world over. <laughs> so that's dumb thing number one. Dumb thing number two is actually if we're a bad employer. It's the flip side of, the, of being slack. Nothing turns the world off quicker than if we don't pay them. 
off sound. <laughs> Brian's looking at me. <laughs> I still owe him a few dollars. <laughs> um, or if we're late paying our accounts. Or if we're too rigid. Or we're stingy. Or we'll just lose worker support. If we don't lead by example. If we're not prepared to own our mistakes or do humble tasks, then we're soon, you know, we'll get staff going through unrest. We now live in a day when uh, human rights have almost become human wrongs. But the biblical pattern in all disputes, really, is that the one in the stronger position should always be the first to try putting things right. Did you catch that? I believe this is a biblical principle. The one in the stronger position should be the first one to try and put things right. And that applies to, to our relationships at home as well. Number three. Number three dumb thing is failing to discipline our children. James 3 verse 18 says, Peace Makers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. You see, with our kids, we need to be firm and win when it matters without, without losing it, you know, without getting mad, without getting, losing our temper. We must never discipline in anger. We need to be peacemakers, not peace lovers. I find some parents doing anything just to keep the peace. <laughs> Chuck a screen in front of them. <laughs> Not knocking that now and again. <laughs> but we'll reap a harvest of righteousness if we get that right. Number four is failing to manage our money. You know, Jesus spoke more about money than worship. Let's read James 4, verse 10 to 15. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we shall go and to such and such a city and spend a year there and, and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live. And also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. You see, we need to put God in the middle of our money and our finances. We so often just go it alone. And then ask him to bless what we've already bought. So, James knew that whatever our hearts are attached to, will rule us. Whatever we trust in more than God is an idol. So let's ask for that wisdom from above over this area of finance. Last one, dumb thing number five. Uh, we often just rush in where fools dare to tread without checking in with the Lord. Um, and I put with our wife slash husband. <laughs> Let's read James 5, 7 to 11. Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early 
and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. You see, waiting's tough, isn't it, at times? But the rewards are massive, according to the Bible, especially when it comes to those big life choices. Isaiah 40 verse 31 says, Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up with wings like eagles. They will run and not faint. We played this song silent because so often God often speaks after a time of silence if we're prepared to wait and to wait on him. Don't just empty your mind, fix your mind on him. Even if we feel we've done all these dumb things or we could have done them better, there is hope. There is hope. We only fail when we quit or we check out. You know, we can repent and change tack from now on. The greatest tragedy of all, though, I believe, is climbing the ladder of success only to find that that ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. James concludes his book and wraps all of his wise thoughts up with this one last gem. And this is where we're landing, folks. It's verse 19 and 20. Let's read. My brethren... If any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I am so excited about this thought of turning back people from eternal separation from God. I just think there's nothing more important we could ever do, even if it's one person we help to turn back from judgment. Amen. And even if we mess up, but we lead others, we've lived well and acted wisely. And I'm, I'm just going to read that Proverbs 11.30 again because I just think, it is just one of my favorite verses. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who is wise wins souls. You know, that is the ultimate wisdom, to be working for the kingdom of God and seeing it expand with new souls. You know, when they finally martyred James, they discovered that he had camel knees. His knees looked like those of a camel. That was his nickname from then on, old camel knees, because of his prayer. James was a man of prayer. You, you kind of get this feeling from James that he's sort of all about out there doing it, you know? But he prayed and then did it. 
And I think there's a lot of lessons in the book of James as we just wrap this up. We're just seeing so many things that we can, we can add legs to in our life through this book of James. Having God's wisdom, you know, minding our tongue. Responding to need when it's there on our doorstep. Being patient, waiting for the early and the late rains. Let's, let's pray now for the lost in our church and the lost in our community. Let's, let's just commit to pray for the lost and see what God will do with those prayers. Eh? Let's pray. Father, we've been silent, we've waited, we've heard your voice this morning. Lord, to get out of that boat, to get out of that boat of complacency, to walk on the water with faith in you. Lord, that there's a scariness about that, but Lord, we know that you have great plans for this town. You've got great plans to use us as a church to reach it. Even in a greater way, we, we thank you for the foundation that's been laid. This DNA of mission in this place. We thank you for the many outreaches, the many times over the years the gospel has been preached and gone out. We just pray we would not give up. Lord, we just pray we would just have that passion for the lost, to see them saved, to see them set free to see countless more come to know you, Jesus. And as we just uh, reflect back on this uh, wonderful book of James, we just realize he's saying at the very end, the last word, if you turn someone back, you've lived well. And so, Lord, we just pray we would be wise enough to make room for others. We'd be wise enough to pray and pray and pray for the lost. Come alongside any that may not know you here today, Lord. I just pray that you'd just show your, 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 your greatness, your glory, and that they would uh, grab you with both hands. Lord, we ask last week that you would draw near to us and you've promised that when we draw near to you you'll draw near to us and we pray that over our lives again as we leave this place in Jesus name, Amen Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast